Many people in the streetwear industry credit the hundreds as the first brand born on the internet. Many also consider the hundreds as the first big brand of the new wave of streetwear that then ushered in the current generation of success stories. If you listened a few episodes ago, you'll hear Samuel Ross from the uber progressive collection A Cold Wall credit the hundreds as one of his early inspirations. And through it all, the hundreds were led by their two co-founders, Bobby and Ben Hundreds. When I reached out to Bobby about being on the business of hype, he immediately said, oh, you need to get Ben on this. He's actually the one that runs the business side of things. And like most business people, Ben is pretty behind the curtain while Bobby is the front man. And I like talking to co-founders because it basically meant that even early on, the two people were smart enough to recognize that they couldn't do it all on their own. I always tell people who start businesses now to find a co-founder that can do the things you're not good at. And I say this because I started Staple on my own and I always wish I had a co-founder the entire time. So it's a rare treat to have both guys on the same show, the creative guy and the business guy, the dynamic duo that makes up the hundreds. From Hypebeast Radio, I'm Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. All right, so let's start Let's start the interview. Let's um, give a brief introduction of who we have sitting here, um, your names, and what you guys do. I'm Bobby Hundreds. I am, I guess, the chief creative officer of the Hundreds, which means I just kind of oversee all the creative stuff. Um, I'm Ben Hundreds. I'm the president CEO of the Hundreds. And I guess I make sure that the wheels are turning on our bus. I feel really special that Ben is at this interview. Because he's like, he never gets this on press. This is very rare. And um, everyone, uh, I, you know, obviously I'm the face of, more of the face of the brand. And yeah. so everyone wants to come to me and listen to what I have to say. But what they don't know is like, Ben is the buried treasure, you know. That, yeah. That Bobby keeps me hidden, make yeah. sure that nobody wants, nobody well, tries I, to steal I, me. I need it, you know. I'm like general release, and Ben is like tier, <laughs> tier zero. <laughs> you know, he's like the very limited edition. Yeah. So when you get it, it's like you'll appreciate it. Right. Hang on to every word. It's, he's it's, Nike Lab. It's called. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Exactly. You're, you're DSW man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with DSW. No. So the, the story goes: I asked Bobby to like do this podcast about the business of hype. And you're like, let me transfer you to Ben Hundreds now. Like, yeah. business? No, that's not me. Like, and no. so yeah. I thought it'd be great to have both of you on. And and Ben, I hope you you feel free to like chime in on your experience and your side because this show is really, you know, there's plenty of shows and there's plenty of things out there for the creative, visionary, marketing face dude and the kid who wants to become the face of a brand. But having you here gives us the opportunity to figure out like how, as you said, the wheels keep turning, how this car keeps gas in the engine. Yeah. Right. Cool. Um, so I don't want to dive too deep, but I think we should just for the people who don't know um, into the history of the brand, because that can be found. And, you know, I know kids can just Google this, but let's talk about those early days. You guys are the co-founders of the brand, right? Describe back then um, sort of maybe if you can bring yourself to the point where the hundreds wasn't even yet formed as like a corporation or maybe not even a name, but you two thinking, let's do something. Mm -hmm. Go back to those days, what was that like? I mean, it was, uh, we were in school then, right? And so 
we didn't really know what we wanted to do. I think Bobby and I, we were both in law school, and I think Bobby and I both knew we didn't really want to be lawyers, but we were both in law school for, I, don't, I was in law school just because I, I, I had nothing else to do, really, and my friends are going to law school, and I'm good at taking tests, so I got into mm -hmm. law school, and that's really why I went to law school. And uh, when we met, there aren't too many kids in law school like the two of us. Yeah. And so we like immediately bonded. We became really good friends over that first year. We became really good friends over that first year in law school. And, um, and so over the summer, uh, towards the end of the first year of school, we're like, hey, you know, Bobby's like, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about starting this project. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a writer. I'm a blogger. I have my website, bobbykim.com. You should check it out. <laughs> and uh, I lost that domain, by the way. So what was BobbyKim.com doing? BobbyKim.com in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s was um, a platform for me to just put all my creative stuff. So it was my art, my paintings, my photography, my writing, and then my blog, which started uh, right when Blogspot, Blogspot and Blogger launched mm -hmm. when Evan, it was, who did it? Was it uh, Jack from Twitter did that, I think, mm -hmm. or whoever, it was his first thing. So that's when blog launched and I was like enamored with the idea of blog because I came from this world of punk rock zines and it was a free way of doing a zine and uh, with a much bigger audience. Yeah. And back then you didn't track analytics or statistics and you had no idea how many read your blog. So it was even more liberating and I felt like I was just singing in the shower, mm -hmm. you know? So I was just writing every day, like this is what I eat. And I know it's like super annoying now to see people like food on their Instagram, but at the time I'm like, this is what I ate. This is where I skated today. This is who I hung out with. Um, what were you doing in law school? What, why would, did yeah, I end up in law school? Yeah. So um, I came from uh, the writing, the freelance world. I was doing freelance art, writing for magazines, and then 9-11 happened, mm -hmm. and I couldn't get work anywhere. And so uh, I traveled to Japan, and I lived in Japan, and that's when I really fell in love with streetwear. And I was living with my girlfriend in Japan at the time. And um, while I was there, I was just like, I can't keep this lifestyle up. It's like, I can't make enough money. I need a normal job. Mm. And everyone was like, you're pretty argumentative, right? You have an opinion on things and you like to write, you should go to law school, which is actually the wrong advice. If you like to write, you should not go to law school. It's a, if you like to creatively write. Yeah. I like to creatively write. And um, so I went to law school and, and uh, I also had this interest in, uh, in activism and, and, and uh political stuff, social mm -hmm. causes. And so I figured, oh, I could like get in on the inside and break shit up, yeah, you know? Right. So be that the was inside man on be law, the inside yeah. man. Right. I was like, I can create real change. Mm -hmm. So uh, those were the two reasons why I went. And then lastly, to make my parents happy, right? Because yeah. they were like, they'd given up on me and they're like, okay, you'll be a lawyer, you'll be fine. Yeah. So that's why I ended Did up. the two of you graduate? Yeah. Okay. So you both yeah. graduated, but you formed the idea in what year of first year college? at the end of first year, the Freshman summer year, okay. between first year and second year of law school, uh -huh. we started the company. Okay. We launched the company the summer of 2003, July, 2003. So Bobby tells you, I have this project idea. Yeah. What was he pitching you? Um, it was, uh, it was, I have a project. It's, I can design t-shirts and, um, I can design t-shirts and I have a website, we'll have a website and I'll tell stories about the t-shirts and that's how we'll sell the t-shirts. And were you like genius? And I was like, yeah, sure. This sounds like fun. Like, and you know, I, we were both really big on Nike talk back then. And I thought we could put our shirts up on Nike talk and we'll figure out how to, you know, market it on Nike talk and we'll get it into a couple stores and, um, and we'll go from there. Uh -huh. And that's like 
basically how it started. Was he already like um, defining like I need you to help me with X, Y, and Z? No, no. And I mean, still, it was never. You're not, you're not an artist, right? No, no. Okay. Uh, still, well, <laughs> uh, secretly. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, still to this day, I don't. Bobby and I have never like said like, Bobby, you're in charge of this. Ben, you're in charge of this. I think that from day one, it's just we've. Uh, fallen into our roles and whatever needs to get done mm. uh, will you know yeah. I, one of us will figure out how to get it done so I want you to comment on this because I've heard from many people who have partnerships one of the number one reasons I hear with a problem when it comes to partnerships is exactly what you said where it was like the the business guy starts dabbling in on the designs yeah. the design st- guy starts telling the the sales guy what you know <laughs> what stores to sell to and not sell to and like people not knowing their roles yeah but that sounds like that wasn't a problem for you guys ever. no well, I, um bobby and i really respect each other and i mean we both have egos but with each other we don't have egos and we um we you know he, he if he need not that he needs help if if he sees something wrong with the business and says, Ben, I think we can do this better and proposes something. Sure, I'll listen. And I do the same with design. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of us are really good at both sides of the business. I think that uh, Bobby can handle doing business great. And, you know, he's sure he's much better creatively, but that's not to say that Bobby can't run a business on his own. 100% he can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we're. We're, I think we're lucky that we have a partnership where, um, you know, we, the number one key is really respecting your partner and listening to them. Um, do most partnerships work? No, I've seen a, a ton yeah. uh, not work. And, you know, we have lots of kids that have worked for us that have started brands and have had partnerships and I've seen them falling apart because of the exact same thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have their roles um, yeah, defined. Yeah, finding a partner is like... Yeah, as it's hard really as hard. finding a spouse. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, the same. It's, I'm, we're uh, married. Yeah, we're married. We're more married than we are to our own wives. Yeah. As weird as that sounds. How's like, the sex? How's the sex? <laughs> <laughs> Just like marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Never happened. Yeah. Uh, uh, but wait, I wanted to ask you now, like, mm. when, you know, you being the creator and the face of the brand, why didn't you ever think, I could do this on my own? I, the hundreds could be 100% mine. I don't need a partner. Because I know I can't. I know my limitations, right? There's like that high roll lyric of like MCs should know their limitations, mm-hmm. and like I live by that. Like mm-hmm. I know, uh, I, I do. You know, Ben is right. I think I'm pretty proficient at business. Uh, I, I'm pretty shrewd enough. I think I'm better than a lot of other biz, quote unquote business people out there. And the same for Ben. Like I think he's one of the most creative people I've ever met. But he's a business guy. Yeah. So we have this empathy with each other. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's like a yin yang. It's a yin yang. Yeah. And there's been, of course, there are times where we really butt heads, but um, we know each other well enough to where, like, if we're both fighting for something, there's usually one person that wants it more than the other, and then you just lose that battle. Yeah. And it's like, you for know what? For the bigger price. For the bigger price. I mean, first and foremost, always is the brand. And so we respect the brand so much and we want to take care of the brand. It's just like, if you really, really believe that that's the right choice, I'll trust you with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because we always put that first, the relationship is fine. And uh, did you just say like, we're 50-50? We're 50-50. Okay. We're just straight down the line 50-50, yeah. Because uh, it's invaluable, I think, what Ben brings, what the business side does for the brand and, and vice versa. I think. I think where a lot of creative people and designers and artists get it wrong is that ego of thinking, 
oh, I got this, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. I, I understand how to do the, do the business part. There's so many nuances to Ben's job that even I don't really glean. Like mm-hmm. I can't process like all like I think I can do it. Oh, I could I could probably do that. No, like there's like his brain, the way it's like operating 24 hours a day. Like I don't have the bandwidth to do that, mm-hmm. you know, so. Um, yeah, a lot of creatives think like this is my brand, my vision. Mm-hmm. If I'm gonna bring in a partner, it should be 80-20 me, you know. And they they go in with that foot forward. Yeah. Um, and I've also heard that, you know, for anybody listening to this who's thinking about bringing in a partner, I've also heard that 50-50 partnerships are dangerous because there's no you just stalemate all the time. Right. And and any argument or disagreement ends up being a tug of war, like from an equity standpoint, where if it's 51-49, there's at least a winner. That's interesting. Wow. You yeah, ever heard yeah. that? I've heard no. 50-50s are horrible. Or like two seats on the board are horrible. It has to be three yeah, seats on the board. Yeah, that I've heard. Yeah. That you got to have an odd number on yeah, the board. Yeah, you can't vote and it's like stalemate all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's That's like... interesting. Yeah. Do you ever get to the point where um, you mentioned you've butted heads and stuff, mm-hmm. but has it gotten really, really like... Can you remember a, a very harsh moment where like you're like, man, this is bad. This is really bad. Um... I, I'm writing a memoir right now, so there is this part in my book where I talk about the one fight where we did have, and um, it was uh, it had to do with selling to a store. But the thing was, it wasn't that Ben necessarily wanted to move the business in a particular way either. It's like we were both having a hard time understanding this next phase and appreciating this next phase. But I took it really hard just being the creative person and not understanding like this is exactly what we have to do for the business mm. because I was so <clears throat> nearsighted in terms of I only saw what was in front of me, not understanding the greater picture. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, there that, that was kind of vague, but uh, there have been instances where it happens, but we, you know, we have to get over it. Like, yeah. again, like so many people are counting on us to just get over this, right? Yeah. It's like our staff, the kids who are buying their clothes from us, like, you know, I, it's not it's not just our thing, right? Like, we're it's not just Ben and I. Like, we're just, we're maybe steering the ship or stewarding, but um, everyone else is down there rowing, right? They're mm-hmm. like, come on, guys, like, figure it out. We got to go. Yeah. And yeah. you've got to keep moving forward. So right. um, so you, you convinced Ben to sort of, come with you on this ride of this project that you have mm-hmm. um well ben ben looked at the project and was like hey man like i know how to make money you know and that's something that i've always been really terrible at mm-hmm. because i don't approach any of my projects from um thinking about money which is the most important thing i mean we're really talking about this is the business of hype right we're talking about business mm-hmm. i'm not a business guy like i'm just an artist i like making stuff I like the process of making things, and that's it. Mm-hmm. I never think about like how can I sustain it? How yeah. can I actually like making make a living doing this? Like that never enters yeah. my mind. It's just passion for it's just passion always. Yeah. Still, yeah. you know, like I'm just like I want to make all this stuff, and Ben's like, "Where's the money in that?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I don't care. Like I just want to do it." And he's like, "Well, where? How, you know, it's not so this, practical." The Hundreds brand is over 15 years old now, and the two co-founders are still there, still grinding away. Do you know how rare that is? Somehow, through sheer luck, Bobby and Ben are the perfect partners. They even said it themselves, they're basically married. Finding the right partner is a very careful balancing act. Like in any relationship, it's knowing when to push, when to relinquish, when to walk away, and when to have that hard discussion. Ideally, you find the partner that complements and supports all your weaknesses, and your strengths support everything that your partner doesn't have. Oh yeah, 
even after you find the right person with all the right skill sets, you still gotta sort of like the guy. You have to personally get along with this person. You have to be ready to share hotel rooms with this person, to spend over 60 hours a week working with this person. You will see this person more than any other person on the planet. So choose wisely. And don't make this a flippant decision. As you'll soon hear from Ben and Bobby, what they have is sort of magical. So this was my question. Where was the money to start up the hundreds? Like, what did it you didn't, do? Just credit card, loan? Yeah, it didn't take very much for us to get started. We, we had maybe a few hundred bucks each um, to get started because all we needed was just some t-shirts to get mm-hmm. printed. Yeah. And we had a our first shirts were we had a friend who had a printer at a, at a screen press uh, in his backyard in his shed. It was my brother, one of my brother's friends, and um, you know he didn't charge much. He didn't even know what the hell he was doing. You know, we didn't know what we were doing either. Yeah. We, you know, and so uh, I mean, the first shirts. If you still have one of our first shirts, like the neck label on the shirt is sewn by uh, your like an aunt or someone. No, right? it's Mrs. Mom's. Mrs. Mom's. Yeah, my wife's. Uh, my she was my girlfriend at the time. It was my girlfriend's yeah. mom. Like, yeah, we didn't like, know how to relab- relabel, and we didn't realize we had to do that. Uh-huh. And she, like, broke out her old, you know, yeah. so, or so sewing machine. And it wasn't, I mean, we, it was, everything was low budget in right. the beginning. And that's um, the beauty of streetwear, right? Like, yeah, all you need is a t-shirt, and mm-hmm. you can build an empire from yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was t- t-shirts, and then we eventually found it, like, a, after he messed up our first round of shirts, we asked around, we found, like, a real screen printer. Uh-huh. Um, who we ended up using for many years, and you know, we'd buy the T-shirts from downtown, take them over there. Bobby yeah. would design the shirts, go with them to work with him to make sure you know the shirts look right, and mm-hmm. you know, we'd buy ha- blank hats from downtown and find our embroider to embroider our hats downtown, like right. very you know DIY, like you just you figure out how to yeah how to get it done. Oftentimes, um, um, I hear so that part is like especially today with like these. Zazzle, Cafe Press, like, you know, DTG printing, it's even easier now, right? Mm -hmm. But I often hear now kids start off their own brand, they make their stuff, and then they get a little bit of demand, and then they start making, like, more, and then season two comes, and it's like, well, I'm sitting on a lot of shit right now, right? Mm. So did that point come where, like, you started making stuff, and then it started to get scary with the amount of stuff that you needed to make? Um, It didn't for maybe a couple years. And we were really lucky at the time we started the business because we were in school. Mm-hmm. So we were in school and there was no, we didn't have to make money to live because we were in school, like I, what rent was paid for through school. Um, I had taken out student loans that my loans and Bobby had loans, whatever it is, uh, covered our school and my living expenses. So we didn't need money to live off of the uh, from the brand. Yeah. So whatever money we made literally just went right back into the bank account. Mm-hmm. And so every season get a little bit bigger, like whatever profits we made from the season before just is, is there. Yeah. So we didn't really have to take money for maybe a couple of years. And then I think we each went to our parents and we asked for like a thousand bucks or something like we needed like a couple thousand bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. And both of our parents are like, what, you guys are idiots. You're in law school. What are you talking about? But OK, <laughs> here, if you want to continue with this dream project, I don't know why you want to do it. Here you go. Uh-huh. And it so was we, all for me. I remember it was all my savings. Like I asked my the, the money that they had saved for me in case I ever got married or was going to buy a house. And it was only like a few thousand bucks. But they're like, this is all the money that we saved for you. You can do whatever you want with it because you're of age now. And I'm like, I'm going to dump it all into this t-shirt company. They're like, what are you talking about? And so <laughs> that was and, it. And so we had uh, we had put a little bit of money into uh, 
into it at that point and it just helped get it a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. But mm. I mean, look, the beauty, again, the beauty of being in streetwear is it doesn't cost a lot to sell it, to make a t-shirt Yeah. and you sell it for a lot. Yeah. The market. And is so good, yeah. you make a lot of money selling t-shirts and mm -hmm. still to this day, that's still holds, we, we're making money, a lot of money profit back then. You're still making a lot of profit now selling t-shirts. Yeah. Um, so it was it was nice. We used that money to just continue to to grow the business until it got to a point where it was all right. You know, we need to we need to get a bigger warehouse. Mm -hmm. We need to get an office. We want to yeah. So on and so forth. So in college, you opened up like a hundred business banking accounts. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like yeah. second year, second year in college. Second year, in, not in college, in law school, grad school. Okay, grad school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you open the business bank account. It's like the same account that you have today. It's the same uh, hundreds. Basically, I mean, we're still with Bank of America. <laughs> yeah, basically. Shout out, this podcast has been sponsored yeah. by Bank of America. <laughs> yeah, I, I had worked. The hundreds are sponsored by Bank of America. I had basically. worked at. Um, I had worked at the bank while I was in college. <laughs> you worked at Bank of America? No, no, I worked at Wells Fargo. I worked at Wells Fargo for a couple of years. Okay. And so I, I had the experience of I know what I needed to get done in order to get the business going. Yeah. And so you my, need. So let's break this down since you have the experience. So you need. What are the things you need? If you if you went from printing T-shirts and you're selling them, yeah. And people are either paying you in cash or PayPal or writing you personal checks. Yeah, yeah. How do you now go to being, become a business? To being legitimate. Uh, you should probably get a business license mm -hmm. in your uh, state, right? That's yeah, my state. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and by the way, you just go to City Hall and get that. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty easy. You can yeah, and it's Google. It's you like, can do it up on. You can do it online now. I'm pretty okay, sure. Okay. I think it's very. I walked to City Hall. Yeah. and did it. But yeah, it's like I it's think cheap. you could do, I, I, almost everything now. You can do online. Mm -hmm. it's not I mean, you can even open up a bank account online now, right? Yeah, I, I, think I wouldn't. So. Yeah, you know, for a business that small, I don't think it's very hard to do that. Um, yeah, so you go to Board of Equalization. Here you go to Board of Equalization and uh, you get a seller's permit, mm -hmm. uh, seller's permit, business license, um, and you get and that you license bank gives account. you, um, you know, what's known as a EIN or tax ID number. Uh, no. Oh, so okay. EIN, that's when you want to, if, when you form a corporation. Okay. So you still like, if you're just by yourself, you know, you're still going to be probably a sole proprietorship. Doesn't you don't need to really set up any. Anything you know, super tech. It's just under your own social security number, and yeah. you have your own. You have your own. You you yourself are the business. Right. Your social, your personal social security number that yeah. you're born with yeah. is also the business number. Yes. But there's there's danger in that too. There, I mean, once you get to a certain size, if someone yeah, sues you're gonna, the company, they're yeah, actually they're suing you. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and so uh, the the three basic things. You need a bank account. You got a. You need a, a board of board. You need a seller's permit, and you need a uh, a business license. So that's good advice. Uh, and then let's fast forward a little bit to like you guys graduating. Um, when you graduated, where was the hundreds at in terms of like size of business? Dollars wise? Yeah. Uh, maybe I think our. Maybe we were after that was after our second year in business. Maybe we had done like sixty thousand dollars our second year in business. Mm -hmm. wasn't very much. T-shirts and hats, right? Yeah, t-shirts, hats, sweatshirts, all printables and some embroidery stuff. And um, were you was there direct e-com business yet, or you're all? Uh, yes, out? we started that from the get-go. Okay. Um, we always had that, and of course, it wasn't very big because mm -hmm. um, online shopping wasn't that big yet. Um, but we definitely did some online business, absolutely. Did you do a trade show? Yep. 
We did our first trade show. That's uh, like 2004. After While our you first were still in school. Yeah. Oh wow. We Which did Agenda. You did Agenda. Yeah, yeah. One Weird. of the first shows. Yeah. When it was in LA. Yeah. 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 Might have been his first. Maybe his second show. Yeah, I think it was his second show. And uh, yeah, it was at the CalMart in LA. Uh huh. Um, and uh, we yeah we walked in there. We didn't have hangers. We didn't have a rack. We just had a box of T-shirts. Aaron like looked at us like, what the hell's wrong with you guys? He like went and got us a rack. Went and got us hangers. You, our shirts were all. Uh, all wrinkled. Uh, we, <laughs> it was incredible. We had no clue what we were doing. We no were, we're still like this, right? We're just, we were walking to a place where we kind of didn't belong and we were uncomfortable. And so we were just defiant and just were like, fuck it all. You mm -hmm. know, like we just walked in with like, let's not even steam our shirts. Like we're just going to be, you know, the, the assholes of the trade show, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, this is why Aaron gets a lot of credit was he was just starting this trade show. He was young, right? Yeah. Uh, we were all young. We were, Ben and I were 23 or 24. And uh, we walk in literally with like a box, like we're carrying a box of t-shirts and that's it. And some photocopied catalogs. And Aaron walked over to us and just shook his head. He's like, you guys, where's your rack? I told you guys you need this, this and that. And we had never even met Aaron before. He kind of like cold emailed us, hey, you guys, I'm starting up a trade show. Will you guys do a trade show? We're like, whatever. And so he runs, he grabs us a rack, like Ben was saying, and he sets us all up. And then he literally started like bringing buyers over to us. And later in the show, and that at that time, the show was like three days. Do you remember? It was like yeah. the slowest three days of my <laughs> life. It was so boring. Mm -hmm. There's rarely a buyer walking through. But every time there was a buyer, he would grab them, bring them straight to our booth and be like, buy from these guys. And the buyers didn't get it because at the time, the popular brands were like, the urban labels or like LRG was really cool. Yeah. Echo and LRG were like the thing. Yep. That technical 555 soul kind of look. And we had what we make today, right? Like starchy, boxy t-shirts with like colorful graphics and stuff like that. And that was it, no mm -hmm. cut and sew. And the buyers didn't get it, but Aaron was just like, watch these guys, these guys are the future. Like he literally said things like that as he'd bring the buyers by. Why is this guy believing us so much? Like, he doesn't even know us, you know? Yeah. But he knew. Like, he always knew what was going to happen next. And he just saw that the, everything was going to go that way. I don't know. I, I've never really asked him why he thought, like, we were going to be the ones. But of there was, like, 25 brands at that first show. And it was us and 5-4, I think, are the only ones that still survived. Damn. Yeah. Really? All those brands are gone. And there were really big, cool brands when we were there. Like, um, uh, what was the one at this start? Uppercut? Is Uppercut still around? No, Uppercut's a... Is it Uppercut? I think it was called Uppercut. <laughs> there, there were these brands that had full cut and sew, denim ranges, Astronaut. Like, Astronaut, I remember. Yeah, I remember. that wow. was... Uh, what's his face? The uh, graffiti guy. Yeah. Uh, Trickster. Trickster. That was Trix's brand. Like, so anyways, there was really cool brands. Yeah. That if, we were uh, like, we want to be like them. And uh, none of them exist anymore. We do, you know. If uh, if you're talking to a kid now, 2018, and he's asking you, should I do a trade show? What's your advice? Um, I think it depends on the uh, like the life of your brand, like that where you are in your brand cycle. Um, I think if you're like really a brand new kid, that's uh, and you have been making shirts or putting a collection together for like a year or two, and you have some momentum and you want to grow your business. Um, I think that the trade show still has a place. I don't think trade shows are dying. I think there's a purpose and a reason for it still. I, I think that we're going to see a change in the trade show business in the next few years because all these brands um, 
all the brands that are like the new streetwear brands, you can you can only get so big um, with direct to consumer. I think that there's still a place for wholesale. Um, you know, you hear it all the time. Wholesale is dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, retailers going out of business. I don't. I don't believe that. Sure, wholesale is dying, um, but it's not completely dead. And I don't think it's going to ever completely die. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that you need retailers to help market your brand. Yeah. You know, we sell to a shop in Milwaukee, Moda Three. I, you know, I don't know how else I'm going to get to a kid in Milwaukee. Or, you know, years ago when no one knew who we were. Years ago, when no one knew who we were in um, in Milwaukee, they would they would never find out about the hundreds. But because of Moda Three, we have a fan base now. Yeah, um, I also and, think as a brand, you can't just exist on a screen. Yes, right. Yeah, absolutely. And so I I think that trade shows still have a place. Um, are they as important as they were years ago? No. Um, You're also talking you, about like it, it's a dying industry. But and it's a diminishing industry, but it's a diminishing multi-billion-dollar yeah. industry. So yeah. now it's single-digit billions. Yeah. Like do you not, yeah. you don't yeah. want that money? Okay, yeah. fine. You know, like so. I, I like if you're a brand new brand and you're just starting out, do you need to go to a trade show? No, you're probably going to get no business. You're wasting your time. Um, it, are you a brand that's been in business two or three years and you're looking to grow a little bit and you think you could use some help getting? to uh, some other shops that you might not be able to get to, yes, going to a trade show probably is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember your first employees? Yeah, of course. of course. When did you decide the two of you were like, all right, it can't just be the two of us. We need help. <laughs> <laughs> when did that happen? It happened, it happened at different points for both of us. Ben uh, is really good at delegating mm-hmm. and being a manager, so he realized it right away. Did you have an employee uh, in in college in uh, grad school? Uh, yeah, we had a couple while we were oh, still in school. Scotty's story. Wow. Yeah, the really? Scotty story is great. Scotty what? came around when we were still in school. Yeah. Yeah, Scotty he emailed in. I go ahead. I'll let you tell. You tell it better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just Ben and I. Um, we had an employee actually at that first agenda show. There was a girl sitting next to us. Her name was Amanda. She was at another booth and she was just like, "Do you guys have a sales girl? I do sales. I'll sell your brand." We're like, "Okay." And then she worked for us for like two months. And so that's technically Amanda Hundreds was our first. Um, but when Ben and I were uh, in the first couple of years, and yeah, we were still in school, we would get uh, random emails every now and then, right? Um, no social media, so an email would come in through info, and uh, maybe one a, a couple days, you know? And the only one I really remember was uh, this kid emailed in, and Ben used to sit outside in my living room. I mean, it was just an, a studio apartment, so there was like the common area, and then there was my bedroom. I used to work in the bedroom, Ben would sit outside, and. Um, the bedroom he, that you slept in. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my commute was like three <laughs> seconds because I would just wake up and sit at the desk, you know. Um, and so uh, Ben was like, "Hey, someone emailed us," and I was like, "All right, what does he want?" He's just like, uh, "It's a kid. He wants to know if he can be a part of our street team." And I was just like, "Tell him we don't have a street team." And he's just like, "Okay." And then Wait, I love I love the fact. That you get an email and you're like, hey, we got an email. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a big deal. Right. It was like someone knows about us yeah. out there. You know, and this wasn't like Imagine. It is, this wasn't like one week into the brand. This was like two years into the brand. You know, it was just like, oh my hey, god. Bobby, Bobby, yeah. We got, we got an email. Oh, oh, it was totally like that. That's exactly I'll tell you, that's this how was, it was. Uh, I remember this was after our first year. This was probably like a year and a half into our brand. 
This is why it's so it's amazing. This yeah. is why it's so frustrating for me to watch these young brands and designers who get frustrated by not excelling or growing fast right. fast enough. Or you hear kids like, I only got five hundred likes on this photo. Yeah. Like, deleting. Like, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, That's five what? If you had those five hundred people in a room, you'd it, be like scared shitless. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like they don't understand, they can't quantify that. Yeah. But for us, we really value and appreciate every single person. Right. Like anytime a kid like writes me an email or a letter like I really appreciate it because I know what it was like to go for two years without getting an email okay so, so this, this guy kid emails in he's like I want to be on the street team I'm like Tom we don't have a street team Ben's like all right and then 10 minutes later Ben's like hey he emailed back and I'm like who he's like the kid and I'm like what does he want he's like well he said if you don't have a street team can we send some stickers and he'll post them up around the valley I guess he's from the valley and I was just like well we don't we couldn't afford to make stickers so I was just like we don't have stickers um like maybe we can go to school and like photocopy some flyers for him. Like I'll design a flyer just for this one kid, okay? And like we'll go. I'll go to school. I'll use like the copy machines in school and like photocopy flyers for him, so we can send him flyers. And he's just like, okay. So he tells him all that. And then we ended up. Run, he's just like, I'm gonna be at the basement, which was this hip hop venue store in the valley. Uh, and this kid happened to be this guy, Scotty, who was 15 or 16 at the time, a big Nike talk player. And he was just one of those guys, you know, the kids in our scene who start off really early mm -hmm. and just get like jaded and like are just like, they know everything way too fast. That was Scotty at like 16. And, uh, but anyway, so I guess he didn't start at sales then. He started as no promoter. Scotty, um, he didn't really start for us, but he was just always around. And then whenever I needed help, Scotty, can you give me a hand? You know, we need, I need to help pack boxes. We got to get orders out. Can you help give me a ride here? We got to move. We got to. And then it was just like, after like a couple of years, I remember I went to Bob and I was like, hey, uh, Bob, I, I think we need to start paying Scotty. And Bobby's like, what? What do you mean we got to start paying him? And I was like, I. <laughs> He's like, I think, I, he's like, I, I think we gotta start paying him, man. He's been working for us for years, and the guy works like all day, every single day. Like, I think he was like Milton in office space. Like, he just kept showing up, and no one was just like, you know, you're not getting paid to be here, but he would just show up every day. And Scotty, I mean, he loved us. He still loves us. He's and he, uh, he. You know, fine. I gave him. Bobby's like, all right, how much are we gonna pay him? I was like, I don't know. We'll give him minimum wage. Well, who cares? Like, we'll just, we'll be, he'll be fine. Uh -huh. You know, but we gotta give him something. And then I was like, all right, minimum wage is fine. <laughs> wow. And so, yeah, that was like, Scotty was like pretty much our real like first employee. And that he like, lasted and, with us. Yeah, yeah, lasted with us for 12 years. And he ended up becoming. He uh, worked his way all, all the way through. Scotty oh, yeah. did every. Highest paid employee in the yeah, company. Yeah. yeah. Scotty and did and everything. Like, the alternate face to the hundreds. Yeah. Really. Alternate yeah. face to the hundreds. If, yeah. uh, especially people who knew our brand back then, they mm -hmm. knew him as uh I mean, some people think he is the hundreds, yeah, because uh, yeah. he was the guy who dealt with all our accounts, right? And so, if you travel around the country and say who's the hundreds, they say Scotty. Scott, you travel around the world and you ask yeah, about the hundreds, the you would say yeah. a lot of people would say Scotty. He was, I mean, he's always been cooler than Ben and I. He's always known the cooler people. He was like the cool guy of the brand. What's he doing now? Um, he's not working right now. Yeah. He, he's he's like, uh, I don't know. He's trying a free to, bird. Yeah. He retired. No, no, he's. <laughs> He's working on some other passion projects. Okay. He's got like two or three other passion projects that he's working on, and 
He's just he's enjoying life. He worked really hard for 12 years. So. I mean, he he was a kid and he started working for us, and so it's almost like he didn't like, have yeah. that chance to be a young person figuring it out. Like right. we kind of like were like we were like his two dads. Yeah, yeah. And we're like you're just gonna do this for 12 years, and now I think he's just like hold on, I want to figure out what I want to do now. Yeah. So it's pretty fun to watch. This story of how one of their first employees, Scotty Hundreds, came from being an annoying email fanboy to becoming the highest paid person in the company is so awesome to hear. Dude even now has the ability to take time off and just chill. It's cool to hear this because on this podcast, we often hear stories about the founders, but now we get to hear the story of one of the hundred soldiers who rose through the ranks from literally nothing. That's what really sets street culture apart from every other industry. I mean, we're by no means doing Greenpeace work out here. But the passion and sacrifice people make from the top to the bottom is pretty amazing, sometimes even for free. But I have found that people who really believe in it, really invest their time and energies, do get rewarded. Yeah, it might take longer than if you work for Wall Street or a hospital, but this ride is a hell of a lot more fun. So from that first employee, how many employees do you have now? Uh, Today, the hundreds is at about 50. Mm-hmm. Right around there. Does that ever scare you? No. Does it not scare any, you? Not anymore. Bobby? You, uh, it doesn't scare me. There was a point where we were very, uh, we're bigger than that. We yeah. Were like almost a hundred. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that was, was scary. Yeah. For both of us. Yeah, yeah. We didn't like that. Um, we like where we're at now, but around, at when it was nearing a hundred employees, there were I didn't know everybody's names. Yeah. Um, lots of HR issues, lots of administrative, and my job became. I mean, I'm the creative guy. Like, I'm, I should be sitting in a corner drawing. Like, my job became, like, listening to people complaining about their chairs or, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. like, just managerial administrative stuff, which I'm not good at. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben and I are both, like, kind of just, you know, figure it out guys. Like, we drop you off in the deep end of the pool. We'll come back in the air, see if you're swimming. Yeah. If you are, we'll swim with you. Otherwise, if you drown, like, sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how we learned how to boss, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, what, so. are, what other disadvantages are there of having too big of a company or too many people on the staff? Oh man, things move so much slower. Uh, you would think that with more help, they yeah, should move faster. No, they don't. Just, I, I, I've learned it. I was telling somebody earlier today this that, you know, I, I went around to the office a couple of years ago and I said more, uh, less is more. And you could do, you could do so much, you can do so much more with, with less people, with less space, less, you don't need just because you have more employees doesn't mean you're going to sell more. Mm-hmm. Just because you have a bigger warehouse doesn't mean you're going to do better in business. Just because you have more stores means you're going to do better business. Um, you know, you can do a lot more with with less. And yeah. and uh, I'm I'm we're very happy with where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, things definitely move when you have a lot of employees. There's way more cooks in the kitchen. There's way more people in, on the ladder to get up to yeah. to get things done. Um, and when you've hired these people, you hire them because you want to hear their opinion in some way, right? So now you got to hear everyone's a hundred people's yeah. opinions, and yeah. you got to you know even if you as an owner are like, yeah, whatever, we're gonna do what we want. You still have to like yeah. field them. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the massage goes. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So you're in a in a phase right now where you're deliberately condensing the size of the company we've done that already and now we're at a place where we're happy and i uh, think we have a very good staff very good team we have the right amount of people 
um, and we want to keep it at this size for as long as we can. Uh, how many years has it been now? The whole uh, this year will be 15 years. Okay. This summer will be 15 years. In that 15-year time span, was there ever a moment where you guys were like, "Let's hang this up. Like this is as far as we're gonna go." Uh, it happens uh, constantly. It's probably <laughs> happened through like, I mean, it wasn't like we're done, but there were, you know, a few years, starting from a few years and there was a lot of discussion of like, um, people wanting to come in, right? That's usually what it is. Mm -hmm. It's like, so-and-so wants to come in and invest or own half of it or, uh, you know, partner with you guys. And so lots of meetings. So that discussion is constantly coming up. It's just like, wait, is wait, is this how we're ending, you know? Which is a good uh, way to exit, no? Always, always. I mean, it's always good to think of your exit strategy. Ben and I never really had a, like, a very clear exit strategy, just like we never really had a clear mission statement. It just kind of like was, you yeah. know? like the hundreds just happened and like we never really had a plan for it. And so every time these meetings and these opportunities come up, it's a good time for us to kind of check the temperature on ourselves, on our personal lives, our, our careers, our legacies, what we want, how the business is doing. And you know, in the end, we've always said no, mm -hmm. right? Like we've gotten kind of close sometimes, but then Ben and I will look at each other like, is this how you want to, you know, do this right now? Or, or are we ready to exit at this part of the game? And you know, at the end of the day, like Ben and I've always said no. Um, so up 15 until years now. in, it's still 50-50. 50-50, yeah, yes. That's that, yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Ben's dad has a little chunk of the business because about seven years, eight years in yeah. to the business, um, he started getting some loans for us. Mm -hmm. And so, and he had, he's been our accountant also, Ben's dad. And so because he had always provided some business acumen and insight for us, uh, we gave him a, a sliver of the business, but it's, it, you know, theoretically it's 50-50. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you've been in this industry enough now where you've seen brands um, either sell or part, bring in like a foreign, you know, outside partner. Mm -hmm. um, has it always sort of just like scared you? Like, have you ever seen it happen and you're like, Man, that's like the worst thing they could have done. Is that why you hesitate to bring in an outsider? Um, I mean, that's definitely part of it. It's rare when it goes right. Yeah, right. Very. It's rare. very rare yeah, when yeah. you're like, "Wow, way to sell the company!" Now yeah. it's even better than before. Yeah. yeah, I've almost never said that. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever said. Oh, yeah, I've almost never said it. Yeah. Curious to see what happens with Supreme. Yeah, that's. I think Supreme um, is going to be the biggest like social economic experiment that we get to see unfold in front of our eyes yeah mm -hmm. you know like, yeah i think supreme will be fine i think it'll always exist maybe not at this magnitude or this level of cool but i think they'll be like somewhat cool forever they're yeah. very good at uh staying measured and composed as you a do brand too, i don't they're not going anywhere anymore like really? i think that they have built a foundation and uh I think that that could be a uh, a house that'll last for in fashion and streetwear youth culture. I think that it'll. You think this is our LV, like think, our uh, fashion house? Sure. Days. I, I think it. I sure. think it can be. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I mean, I'm, uh, I hope so. Honestly, I hope so. I hope I, so when too. you have yeah. a business that big, it's really hard to go to zero. I mean, you just said it, right? Like they, it's the you want to be part of a multi-million dollar, billion-dollar business. Well, okay, now it's only worth a billion dollars, right? Like yeah. Supreme, same thing. This is a four or five hundred million-dollar company. Like you can't. 
they're going to continue to grow. But you and, know as well as I do that, it doesn't have to go to zero yeah. for it to be bad. It no. could, oh, like, are you saying, like, bad taste level yeah. wise? Like, I mean, for me, that's already happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I don't wear it oh, anymore. Okay. So is that right. what you're saying, Ben? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You're saying it'll um, be around as a business, but not necessarily the desirable yes. hype business. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look, Louis Vuitton comes in and out. Gucci yeah. comes in and out, right? Yeah, like, right. these high fashion brands... You know, no one was wearing Gucci and Louis Vuitton three, four years, maybe even two years ago. No one even thought of wearing that stuff, right? Yeah. And now on Hypebeast, that's all they talk about mm-hmm. is Gucci and Louis Vuitton, right? And in two, three years from now, they probably won't mention it again, you know? Yeah, and it'll it be, yeah. it'll be the next thing. And so I think that's what will happen to Supreme, too, that it'll always be there. Um, and uh, do I think it'll be, it'll have its cool moments? It'll come in and out, like, every few years, like mm-hmm. the rest of these, you know, big brands? Um but you don't think I, it'll be like Ed Hardy or like I don't think Von Dutch th- I don't think it'll be Ed Hardy or Von Dutch out. No, I don't. Think, I don't. I don't think yeah. that they'll. I don't. I. I don't think that those. There's too much. Um, there's too much. Too big of a foundation Supreme yeah. has for that to happen. Those like Christian Adige and Von Dutch, like those those things. Uh, they didn't have the foundation. Yeah, no, I don't yeah. think so. That was just. You know, tre- yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I mean, if I agree, I think the foundation is what matters the most. If, if uh, for a lot of the people who are just finding out about Supreme and they're wondering like, why are people paying this much? It has nothing to do with what you're looking at right now. It has all the do like everything that happened in New York in the '90s and yeah. um, you know the early dunks and like all that stuff is what amounted to what happened now. Like you, no brand can come in right now like mm-hmm. a brand new company and do what they've done. Like it just takes time. Yeah, 25, right? 30 years. 25 yeah. 30 years so they have time on their side yeah and uh so i think that will be the thing that keeps them around for a really long time i'm less sure than you are really yeah, yeah i'm less certain why i feel like um if you're put yourself in the investor seat right so you've valued this company at a billion dollars um to me the big question is a can the brand get to a billion dollars that's question number one question number two is let's say the answer to that is yes we can when a billion dollars plus worth of people have bought Supreme one time, mm-hmm. will that happen over and over again, year on year? Right. Right. It, like I think when you see a billion dollars worth of people wearing Supreme, mm-hmm. the big question mark is: Does that deflate what Supreme means now? Yeah. But okay. So it it will. Okay. Right. And it'll come down. So then year two, and can they repeat? No. They, uh, I don't know. Maybe they could do it for a year. Maybe they do it for two years. Uh-huh. And then it, and then it'll be a little bit less. And then it'll, it'll come down. It'll I come see. down, right? And then it, it'll get to a point where it uh, it bottoms out a little bit. Right. And then it'll come back up. Gotcha. And it'll be back gotcha. on trend. And, Which, then the, and then maybe yeah. they'll come back and they'll do a billion and a half in six or seven years. Right? It's like, Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, actually Stussy is a model that has done that. Like, they've sort of... <clears throat> rode high, then deliberately deflated, and then came back, and they sort of ride this like yeah. wave of just in and out, this ebb and flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I and mean, Frank's been doing it long enough, right? Longer than any of us in streetwear, yeah. though, where he's almost mastered. Yeah, uh, he's, you know, how to ride that wave. Yeah, and um, so they've done a really good job of that. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I, yeah, I mean, I've uh, they've never. Go- I don't think they've ever gotten that big though, like no. not supreme big. But uh, they're. You know, um, their time in it is so much longer. Yeah. Like they're like almost 40 years. Yeah. 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 And just consistent, you know. And I've heard of them saying like, yeah, we want to go down by 20 million this year. Like we yeah. need to. We're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like right. the most. Who knows how much thing. truth there is to that? Yeah. But sure. <laughs> I mean, I would say the same thing. 
Hence, <laughs> if, I had that, if I had that uh, opportunity. <laughs> Ever since the news of Supreme's investment went public, this has been the number one topic of discussion among streetwear heads. Will Supreme continue to do what it does five years from now, 10 years from now, especially with the expectations and pressures of being a company that is valued at $1 billion? What we're seeing here played out live in front of us is a test on the theory of supply and demand. If supplies are limited, demand goes up, and Supreme has found success in keeping the supply pipe very, very tight. What happens now when that supply faucet has to be opened? Will the demand be able to remain? The thing is, if any brand can defy those odds, it's Supreme. So not only do we have front row seats to see what happens, we get to see it with the best possible contender. I'd love to hear your opinions. Leave a comment or tweet at me with your thoughts. So let's talk about like the culture in, in general right now. Um, if if uh, do you think there's still a place for a kid silkscreening t-shirts in his basement right now? Is mm. there still like uh, is this still a viable business for him to enter into? Um, I don't know if uh, there's as much opportunity and mileage out of uh, to get out of a streetwear brand the way that we did it today. But I still encourage all kids to do it because it will be a foundational stepping stone for you to get into whatever it is that you really want to do. Mm. Like streetwear, starting a t-shirt brand is the easiest, fastest, uh, a cool way to get into business. Um, but and it's just fun. It's fun, you <laughs> yeah. know, like you can see happen. It's marketing, it's advertising logos. It's So it's like marketing, advertising, setting up the business side of things. It's a social, it's like, you know, it's all of these things and it's very low barrier of entry, yeah. right? And so um, we know like chefs and uh, property owners and um, people in tech, right? Like our friends, when we go to Silicon Valley and like the guys at Lyft and Airbnb and like all these guys came from streetwear, mm. right? So it's like if you need, uh, if you're looking to get into business and you don't know how to do it, like do it this way. Same again, like to bring up Bitcoin, you want to get into money somehow, you want to learn the stock markets. Bitcoin's like a fast, easy way to like figure out how this stuff works and then it'll like open up this whole new world to you, right? Mm. So I think it's just, uh, it's, it's an easy way to get into business and everyone should do it. Do you agree, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, Everything Bobby said, I agree with, and I, I do think that um, I do think that uh, kids should. There is space for kids. I, I don't. I the tricky part for me is I don't know if I would tell a kid do this because you're going to make a lot of money or you can make a lot of money. I would tell a kid if you're going to do it, make sure you love it and you want to make T-shirts. Like Bobby and I didn't. I, didn't start the business and start the hundreds because we we're like we're gonna become rich and we're gonna travel Nobody the world. Was rich you know, like we 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 started this business because we we loved what we were doing. I I loved um, having a clothing company and making T-shirts and selling T-shirts and um, um, getting T-shirts in stores and seeing people. I still love it. Yeah, me too. You know. Yeah. And so like that's really why we started the business. I didn't. I never thought. Ne neither one of us ever thought like. Oh, we're going to be able to buy a house. Right. We're going to be able to sort support our families. Oh, we're going to be able to support lots of people's families. Mm -hmm. You know, that was never 
that that was never our goal or our intention. It was let's see how many people we can get to wear the hundreds. Do you still get geeked when you see a, a random kid wearing? The yeah, hundreds? yeah, I, I have. You could look at my phone. I I, I sneak up. <laughs> I sneak up behind kids. I sneak up behind kids. It or sounds I'm like, so oh, wrong. By the way, you, go on. You sneak up behind children yeah. and you take and, photos <laughs> and look at this folder of photos I have. I lo- sometimes I'll ask. Sometimes I'll just when they're walking away, I'll just snap a photo. Yeah, it's still yeah, you get course. the goosebumps. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's really but cool. in in my head. It's still, you know, me and Bobby in his apartment, and Scotty's still packing boxes. And so if I see a kid wearing it, I'm like, how'd you get that? You know, like, where'd you get that from? How do you even know? How do you even know? You know? Right, right. I still like, you know, and then I'm like, wait, snap out of it. You're you're not, you're not that anymore. They're like, I got it for sale at some store or something. (laughs) And you're like, okay. Do you think a lot of young people getting into this think of like, that financial finish line now like they get in thinking like mm. i see nick diamond driving yes. a mclaren yeah yeah, yeah this yeah. is how i'm gonna do it absolutely Interesting. yeah absolutely yeah. i think that kids mm. i think a uh, a lot of kids get in and i mean look nick nick has a big audience he's wildly successful one of the most successful in our world um and he kids look up to him and they see Ferraris and Bentleys and flying private and yeah. they're like, you know something, I'm gonna do that too. I, yeah. I wanna do this because of that. Right. You know? And it's like and you you think about it from a kid's standpoint, they see a diamond t shirt in a mall. It's not that hard to design that t-shirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're like, I could do that, and if mm-hmm. I do that, I get the private jet. That's what you're saying. They just right. see A and Z. Yeah. They don't see any of the letters yeah, in between. Yeah. You know. You know when we were starting, and you remember this too. Like there, there, no one was making money in this world. Oh. So we didn't do it because there were like no one was driving a Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Like we were looking at you know Russ in the back of the surf shop, you know, with like four Japanese art designers on computers and smoking and you know, making a couple t-shirts and we're just like, that is so cool. Like I didn't look at Russell, he's driving a Ferrari, he's driving a mansion. I was just like, wow, he's just like making art, putting on t-shirts, only making a few of them. Wow, they're high in demand. Selling them out of his shop. The coolest people in New York are wearing sir. That's what we wanted, Mm -hmm. right? That's why we got into it. And we had no idea of like, whoa, we can make like a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred million dollars doing this one day. Like there was none of that. So the, um, I think that's a really good and important point is that like our intentions for it still are that way. And so I think that's why we still exist is that our goal has never been the care in front of our nose has never been like this certain dollar amount. It's always just been like, just to do it is enough. Yeah. Just to make this stuff is enough. Like I just, just as long as I get to keep playing, Mm -hmm. like I'm happy. Right. Whereas I think a lot of the kids that are starting brands now, they're like, well, if I make a hundred thousand dollars, I'll be happy. If I don't, then it's not worth it. Yeah. Then that's the wrong, that, which is totally the wrong attitude. And you, I mean, you will last a little bit, but like you won't last for long. Yeah. I mean, I tell kids, if you just want to make money, this is not, this is not it. Yeah. Open a parking garage. Yeah. Yeah. They make money. Yeah. 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 Laundromats make money. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I say this all the time to people who are interested in starting a brand. There's passion for the art and the craft. And then there's passion for the profits. There's nothing wrong with either, but if your passion is the cash, you just won't be able to sustain the patience and stamina needed to make it work in this industry. You'll figure out eventually that there are easier ways to make more money. The only way to succeed in this business of hype is to love what you're doing. And then the money comes later, maybe. You'll often hear on this podcast with other people that I've interviewed that even if they weren't getting paid a penny, they'd still be doing the exact same thing. 
I mean, would you like, so, you know, would you put your money where your mouth is? And like, if a kid was like, invest in me, would you invest in like a streetwear brand? Uh, I would, I mean, yes, we've invested in streetwear brands. Oh, okay. Um, I don't, I, if, if like a 18 year old kid came to me and say, I had some t-shirt designs, invest in my t-shirt. No, I tell them to come back to me in a couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Can you talk I, about some of the investments you've made? Um, I don't know. I mean, we're, I don't know. I'd rather maybe, not. Maybe yeah. not. Okay. There is a, there is a, a, a newer streetwear brand out there right now that is very popular that Ben and I, uh, have a part in. Um, I mean, but, we can say it off the record. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're, we're partners with the guys from. Oh, okay. So we have a chunk of there and we like, I mean, they're like a good example because, they're total creatives, and they're like, all right, let's. We need we need the back end. Like, we don't want to have a warehouse. We don't want to have accounting. We don't want to, you know, like you guys are good at that. Like, take care of that for us. So we take care of like all of the back end stuff for them, and they handle what they need to handle to make sure their business goes. And what was that? What's that equity share? I'd rather not share. I don't think they want us to say. Okay. But we have minority share. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you do all the grunt work. Yeah. And they're the face, and they're the creative. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It works out well for everybody. When you do these other ventures, Bobby, like restaurant, mm-hmm. like magazine, stuff like that, mm-hmm. like the documentary, yeah, you're along for the ride? Yeah. Then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever say like, do you ever roll your eyes and just, can we just make <laughs> t-shirts and hats, please? Sometimes. We were just talking we, about we this had, the other yeah, day. Yeah, we just had this conversation where Bobby's like, you got to tell me just to not do it. You know? Because I... um. You know, my eyes, both of us, my eye, our eyes are bigger than our stomach always. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, I always feel like I'm running out of time. I don't know, I'm sure you feel like that too, but I feel like I'm just getting older and there's so many things I want to do. I want to make movies, I want to open restaurants, and so opportunities come my way, or Ben's way, and I just take them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm like, Ben, are you in? And he's like, yeah, sure, sure. But at some point, I'm like, hold on, you got to tell me no, because some <laughs> of these things are not profitable ventures they're uh kind of dead end you know um can you recall where you pulled the card and and, and kiboshed a, an opportunity that he that bobby brought to you um or it's all been yeses that you just rolled. no 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 there's been no's where it's i mean uh, i mean we just kind i mean the I don't know where where has been one where we yeah. said no Wash, washing machine maybe yeah literally I started, uh, bought, no the no. brand washing machine so like a year and a half ago I started a brand called washing machine Ben never told me not to do it but uh-huh. I think at at some point I was just like I don't have time to do this right now but it was just like a fun Side project it was like brand. a it was based in 1993 when I was 13 years old and it was all rave and punk influence mm-hmm. it was like a rave brand yeah. And um, I still think, I mean, we both think it's a good idea, but it's just like, who has time to run a rave brand right now for fun? You know, like, again, like, I'm sure it'll make some money, but we can make much more money just like doing a cool collaboration with the hundreds. You know, so um, it's fun. I still do it. I mean, Ben knows this, but on my computer, I have like folders and folders of brands that no one will ever see. Yeah. On third seasons, three and four of product lines of like clothes that you would never imagine that I would want to make, mm-hmm. you know? Um, well, I want to ask you about this because I also have like other brands, like, brands. in, in yeah. the roster ready to go. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I think about starting them, but then I want to focus on the brand that we have now. Sure. But I'm wondering, do you guys think that Brands in our industry have a inherent expiration date. 
Like there's polo and there's you know Tommy, like American menswear contemporary. But in the street, or even urban, you could even go far as back if you go to like Carl Kanai or you know LRG or Fat Farm. Mm -hmm. Like, do you think that there can be a 50-year-old like you know streetwear brand? Stussy, right? Okay. So that means that so the answer is yes. Yes. Okay. Cool. That's I think good I, for that's good for everyone listening to this. Yeah. I mean, look at. To last as long as they have, that you know the ups and downs that they've gone through, the discipline that you have to have to last that long. I mean, we're learning all these things uh, along the way. Um, we've been doing this now almost 15 years, and the roller coaster that we've had to ride over the past few years. You know, for many years our business was just a uh, uh, just going up. You know, yeah. we're only growing, and uh, you know, that's not the way, if you want to last in business for 50 years, like that's not, you're not going to only grow for 50 years. Supreme didn't only grow for 50 years. Stussy didn't only grow. Bape, you know, yeah. none of like the biggest and best brands in our world, they didn't only grow for 50 years uh, the whole time that they're in business. So, um, and we're learning that and we're going through that and we've gone through it and, you know, to last, uh, to have a good, long, successful business, you got to be able to go, you got to be able to, you have to want to take the ride, mm -hmm. you know. Um, there are lots of there are lots of ups, there's lots of downs, and um, I I think that you can be a brand and last for 50 years. Yes, absolutely. It, it's very difficult, and you know, there's fatigue. People get tired. That's like, you know, we started this brand in 2003, and our peers at the time. There was probably you know 20 brands around us that uh, you included. That we all started right around the same time. We all sat next to each other at the trade shows. He was a little bit before us. R yeah, yeah, you're a little bit before us. Yeah. Ten, I include Ten Deep too. They started a little sure. bit before us. Yeah. But you come into the trade show right now. Where are all those brands? Yeah, I know. They're not there. Yeah. We, we you know I looked at the trade show map uh, a couple weeks ago. And we were in a horrible spot, and I and I was like, I went to our marketing guy. I said, "Give me the map. I need to see it." Like, who else is at the show? Who else can we be around? And I went around. I'm like, uh, never heard of any of these brands. What the hell? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? Like, there's no, there's not like a like-minded group of yeah. us in the show anymore. There's maybe five, right. and there was fifty. You the know? question is, is that drive? Or is that stupidity on our part? Yeah. <laughs> like, are we the stubborn idiots? I know. Uh, I always think that too. I'm like, oh, we're the last ones here, and I'm like, wait, maybe wait. that's good, bad that we're the last ones at the party. Yeah, but we're the know? last ones. Uh, I mean, we want to be, but a lot of those brands, like, they don't want to be. They, they they can't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, it's really a um, like a marathon. It's like mm -hmm. a stamina run. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, it totally is. Yeah. And, and different things happen in different. It, it, this is not to say we're better business brand people than anybody else. There's different circumstances too, right? Yeah. Like um, I've known like some companies that have dealt with tragic things that have derailed them. Um, we're very fortunate and privileged to not have to go through things like that. But um, it is. It's so much stamina and it's so much heartache. Um, more and more every year. Mm -hmm. You know, even on the winning years, you deal with so much depressing stuff and. Um, and, and you're getting older, right? Like as people yeah. and our priorities change, right? Yeah. When we started, we were going out every night in LA and, um, you know, now like, what do I care about the most? I care about hanging out with my kids, mm -hmm. 
you know, like teaching them how to ski, like playing basketball with them. Like, and, but meanwhile, you're still trying to sell. And I'm still trying to the youth. I'm still trying to be cool to a 15 year old kid. Yeah. You know, which is entirely exhausting to like constantly have to worry about. I mean, I have like cousins that used to wear my brand and thought I was like the coolest thing. And then two Thanksgivings later, they show up and they're wearing all off white in fear of God, mm-hmm. you know, and they're and a Supreme sweatshirt. And yeah. I'm just like, don't you want anything from the hundreds? Oh, that's okay, Uncle Bobby. And it, it, like, that's heartbreaking, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. And then two, three years later, they come back and they're like wearing it again because, oh, you're like an OG brand now. <laughs> you're like a legacy brand and it's cool to wear it. Like, what? <laughs> you know, like, so weathering that, I know it sounds like maybe people won't, won't really ever understand what that's like, but that's hard. Yeah. You know, that's hard to see from right. like your own family. Well, I think so. it's something that a young creative has to sort of forecast mm-hmm. that like if you're trying to make something for you and your homies and your crew you have to understand that you're going to get older you're going to meet someone you're going to have kids you're going to you know need whatever and can you still keep being relevant right yeah. like it's, it's a hard balance um nobody like, ever thinks about that stuff no i guess not right <laughs> right no yeah. when you're because you're young you're, you're always going to be young yeah when you're 25 <laughs> you're invincible yeah you're yeah. going to do this forever you're going to last so that's you're why, gonna, yeah. no, that's why I'm, I'm going to do it different to this. yeah i'm no. going to do it different no right. you're not man everything you've done i've done i promise <laughs> yeah it, it is something that um no one ever thinks about is how is it going to end for you mm-hmm. or um hey you do get really successful at your brand like 20 years from now, you might not want to be associated with that, which is something that I learned working on that streetwear documentary. A lot of the older pioneering guys, they didn't. it was hard to get them on record because it was actually kind of a weird, embarrassingly painful time in their life. Mm. Even if they did well, maybe they didn't exit properly or it was just associated with some weird stuff yeah. that they weren't necessarily proud of. And so... When you're 20, you're like, no, this is what I want to do. This is cool. It's cool. Like, no one is thinking how it's going to end. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's thinking like, well, look at how all, like we were started this conversation off with, like no one really exits gracefully from this thing. You get squeezed out. You putter out. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you do sell for a lot of money, you're seeing your brand get distorted and pulled into all weird kinds of stores. And it doesn't, it's, you don't have the same relationship with it anymore. And, and so you start like other cooler brands to kind of try to re capture that this is who I really am yeah. now and that whole thing like no one thinks about the end uh-huh. they only want to think about the beginning so um, and maybe it's better that way yeah right maybe it's better to be naive because if you really knew what it looked like at the end maybe you wouldn't want to do it you know like <laughs> right. no one would do this stuff and so it's kind of romantic in a way where when we started uh, we had heard all the stories like Rick Klotz from Fresh Dive and Eli from Extra Large and all these guys you know even James Supreme and uh, the Stussy guys like Told us, warning you, telling us, warning us, telling us stories, and we were like, Ben and I would always come back and look at each other and be like, Yeah, but we're different. Yeah, yeah. you know, we're gonna totally be, you know, we're we're the anomaly, and we're gonna be like the Levi's of the game, and like we're here forever. Our great grandchildren, we're we're always gonna be cool, right? Bobby was like, Yeah, but I have Blogspot. No, I, oh, oh yeah, I, I, I said that. (laughs) <laughs> like I I, I I spoke at UCLA. We have the blog. I, yeah, I spoke at UCLA, and there was a, there, one of the first lectures I spoke at, and a kid in, a guy in the back said, "How do you guys? You guys are really hot right now. How do you guys hope to stay relevant in whatever years?" And I was just like, "Well, I have a blog." And, um, and, you know, people are interested in what I have to say. Right. And so as long as you listen to me through my blog, we'll be cool. Yeah. And um, 
I never thought that social media was going to happen. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Well, the next year, Twitter started. It's, it's and then I like was, an SNL skit. Like, fast forward three years, like, dude, blogger goes not down. Not even. It was like 12 months later, Twitter launched. Yeah. And I'm, look, I'm literally looking at Twitter going like, oh, my God, blogs are dead. Yeah. And, like, convincing everyone in our company, like, the sky is falling. Blog is dead. And they're like, no, everyone loves your blog. Everyone, People will read blogs forever. And I'm like, why would you read my blog <laughs> when you can read everybody's blog yeah. really fast? Right. You know? and, and while you're having this conversation, yeah. Instagram is in beta. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who's going to read these 140 yeah. characters? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And like, those are, there are so many things that are out of your control. I, uh, we, we were meeting with Seth from Echo for a while, and he was telling us, He's like, do you guys know when you guys were starting, like our generation of streetwear, he's just like, Echo was hot and booming and they were working on the world's perfect t-shirt. Like that was their big project one year. And uh, it was ring spun and it was fit a certain way and it was like super soft and gourmet. And he's just like, we make this perfect shirt and we're like, we're gonna just win with this thing. And then all you guys come up with your open ends, all style apparel, mm -hmm. gilded shirts <laughs> and like, all of a sudden, kids are like, "No, we want that. Yeah. We want the cheap, the shitty, the cheap, starchy shitty shit." Yeah, which just happened again with Kanye merch, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're like, "Wait, we make really good console. Yeah, why are you buying Gildan and like leaving the label refurbished? In. Yeah, vintage store <laughs> yeah. stuff and just printing Pablo on it, and like that's what kids want, and that frustration of like." There's only so much you can control. Yeah. Right? Like, remember the really days where, like, control. we would do a label change on tees, and it would be like, if they didn't do it under the tape, like, it yeah. looked like, yeah. no, you have to make it look like a real shirt. Yeah. So yeah. lift up yeah. the twill tape, put yeah. it back. And here's Kanye, like, leaving the Gildan leaving label. The Gildan, and kids want it. Yeah. Kids think Gildan is cool. I literally like, face, I was just like, oh, yeah. God. <laughs> but that's, you know, we did it to the generation before us. He does it to our generation, and it's it's the next one will want something different. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, and so you know, like there's so much like this naivety and, and ego when you're starting this brand of like I'm invincible and I'm in control of it all. Mm -hmm. And I think when you start building the brand and going through it, you start realizing and accepting that you're just a part of this ecosystem. And sometimes you really do get to call the shots, and your effect is going to circle around the ecosystem. But a lot of times it's just adapting and adjusting to what's going on, making sure that you're owning your own thing. And yeah. but like it's not in your control. Right. Like none of it is really in your control. Well, thanks, guys. Cool. Thanks, right. Jeff. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. That was very dope. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode with Bobby and Ben Hundreds. And I hope you're enjoying the new season of Business of Hype. You can find out more about this show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. I personally use Overcast. And leave a comment. Tell me what you think of the show. And if you want, tweet at me. I'm at Jeff Staple. You can check us out on the web at businessofhype.com and you can email any questions to questions at businessofhype.com. And in fact, we're going to pull out the mailbag and field one more question. Our friend Dan Nevetta, who's the director of the show, will come out from behind the booth and, and read one of the questions to me. You ready, Dan? Yep. Hey, guys. What's up? This week's question is from Justin McCarthy, PhD student, Lehigh University, Department of English. Jeff. I'm a student of African-American literature, and I've always wanted to start a clothing brand dedicated to black leaders, history, and pro-blackness in general. My question is, do you think it is wise to create gear that will only resonate with a small percentage of the American public, or is it better to remain politically neutral and potentially sell to a wider market? Thanks, and love the show, my brother. Peace. All right, Justin, great question. 
Um, so I think that when you're starting a brand or a business of any sort, it's really important that you have a strong statement and a strong stance behind it, um, no matter what that might be. And it sounds like yours is uh, very political and racial minded, um, person of color and a minority, which is great. I firmly believe in that. Um, my philosophy personally is that in order to be the most effective about spreading that message to as wide of an audience as possible, um, you need to sort of mix in uh, heavily politically minded messages with something more easily digestible and, dare I say, poppy. Um, that sort of acts as like the carrot to get the audience in. Uh, and then once they're in and a fan of the brand, they can then start learning about some of the principles that you're trying to pass along. So I sort of like the the subtle approach versus um, the hit him over the head with a big stick approach. And I'll, I'll give you an anecdote. Um, so. I did a live one-to-one -one conversation with uh, the Rizza once of Wu-Tang Clan, and he gave some amazing advice on stage. Um, you know, all of his songs are all about, all of Wu-Tang songs are like about educating, and you know, they have this fun, funny quote where they say like, the kids don't need to go to school, all they need is the new Wu-Tang album. But he, he said that every album, it was very conscious of them to put in a, a club banger, a, a you know, ice cream or a M-E-T-H-O-D man, like, you know, they needed a club banger because they knew that the other nine songs on the album were very political, were very, um, you know, highly conceptual. And if they only put that out, nobody would ever listen to the album. So they purposely put out these little treats to get people in and then they start educating them. And I thought that was just genius what RZA did. Um, so I definitely apply that to to what we do at Staple also. You know, our motto is a positive social contagion. It's kind of a heavy handed motto, but our logo is a, you know, is a pigeon, it's a bird. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that. And then once they get into the brand, they start learning more about it. And so I feel like we're more effective at a wide audience in using that tactic. So I hope that helps. Uh, good luck with everything. And again, if you have a question, hit us up at questions at businessofhype.com. Thanks for writing in, everyone. The Business of Hype is directed by Daniel Novetta. It's edited and produced by Bright Young Things. You can check them out at byt.nyc. Engineering is by Alexander Christensen. Our intern is Carolyn Cow. And this was recorded at Sibling Rivalry Studio and on location at the Agenda Show in Long Beach, California. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hypebeast Radio.